Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. And now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. We are live on the Charity Stripe Podcast with your hosts, Alex, Josh, and Nick. We're back, baby. It's the charity strike. Pitcher free throws because they are free. Joshua Fisher, DJ, Nikki, Snacks, Kreider, and Nick. It's always a pl- I mean, we do a deep dive on all our guests, but it's always great when we get to do a deep dive on a comic because we get to watch the content and laugh. We have Maz Giovanni joining us today. His new special is coming out at the end of the month. How do you feel, dude? How does this one feel? I'm excited, bro. I'm excited. You know, um, I've had this is I, I keep forgetting how many I've had seven. This will be my seventh special. Boom. And uh, and you 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 forget because you go oh how many did I do and then um, then you start going back and then you start then you start realizing you're 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 old you're like I've been in this business for a long time so yeah man we filmed this one it's called uh, the birds and the bees mm-hmm. we filmed it at the comedy store actually last August and, you know anybody who knows comedy knows that you film your special a little while before and then you mm-hmm. edit it and all that stuff and get it out so we're releasing this on YouTube. Because it feels like that's kind of where a lot of comedy is going now. I mean, I think comedy has to either go to it either goes to Netflix or YouTube, or if it's a prestige play, you end up on HBO Max. But for eyeballs, really, Netflix or YouTube, because it's international, and I'm lucky enough to be able to tour internationally and have fans uh, all mm. over the place. So why not? Let's put it out there and let them all see it. Mm, yeah. Do you have a favorite special you've done, or is it kind of like picking one of your kids? Oh, gosh, no. There's you know it, you, you, there's Listen, I'll be honest with you. My earlier specials, like my, the first special I ever did was called the Access of Evil Comedy Tour. It was a Comedy yeah. Central special. And it was me and three other guys. So those were like 20 minutes, knock it out, exciting. I still see clips and I go, oh, that was, I'm excited. Then my first solo special was called Brown and Friendly. And the truth is I watch that sometimes and it was your first, first solo. And there's bits sometimes where I cringe a little. I go, oh gosh, you know, ah. Um, so as time has gone on, like if I look at a special, I will find clips that I like and clips that I don't. And I've also learned a little bit. Like when I did, uh, I've had them all over the place. I've had them Showtime. I had a Netflix one. I had one on Peacock TV and now YouTube. Um, clearly, uh, I have no loyalty to any network. Zero loyalty. <laughs> just the highest Zero, bidder. Highest bidder, exactly. <laughs> um, well, in, in, this, in the world of uh, comedy specials, it's the lowest bidder. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't go too high. Um, but, um, but in all honesty, um, You've learned, I've learned some lessons. One thing I learned when I did my my Netflix special, they told me, they go, don't make it too long because people's attention spans after a while, like they'll cut it out. And then the algorithm recognizes they stop watching and then it'll suppress it a little bit as opposed to promoting it. It's all crazy. Like there's this algorithm now that we're trying to figure out. On Netflix? That's hard. I mean, they're trying to figure out the algorithm on Instagram, TikTok. And I I didn't realize... I just, I mean, it makes sense, but I never put two and two together that a creator, especially like an individual creator, like of a comedy special would have to figure out and try to master the algorithm on Netflix. I mean, you know, listen, as a creator, you sit there and you go, because, because we're not, I don't know how many creatives are that well aware of how algorithms work on different platforms. Sure. Um, So I think when you put it out, you just put it out. I just remember, so I did one for Showtime that was an hour and 17 minutes. And in my thought, I was thinking, well, it's Showtime, so they don't really have like a start time finish. They, 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 can, they, can, they can be in those weird 
mm-hmm. I, you know, because um, they show movies. Um, they're not like a network television show. Um, so then when I went into my Netflix one, I told the guy, I go, hey, I got a, I got whatever, I got an hour and 15. And he goes, don't, he goes, let, he goes anywhere between 50 minutes to an hour 10 tops. Because he goes, if, if people stop watching it in the middle, then the Netflix algorithm starts like saying, oh, people aren't fully watching this. So anyway, you learn as you go. I will say that probably um, maybe my favorite would be right now, uh, it's called Immigrant, it's on Netflix. Uh, that's because, because it was Netflix, that was the first time it really was like the highest bidder kind of a situation. They actually had mm-hmm. some money. And so we put money towards the special. And, um, and so you'll see, it, we shot it at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. Um, we got uh, Fight the Power from Public Enemy as the walkout music. Nice. Um, yeah, because, because when a lot, of the, a lot of the specials, I I've ended up funding them. And when I end up funding them, it's like, what's going to be our music? I'm like, I could just hum something. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, on your website, you do all your intros. Can you say? Because I couldn't afford to. <laughs> it's hilarious, bro. I'm telling you, man. It's a low budget productions over here. Yeah. Um, but this one that I did for the comedy store actually is really exciting because the comedy store is where I got my start. Yeah. In stand up, like 24, 24 years ago. So it was really cool because the word special gets thrown out a, a lot, right? I'm, I got a special. I got a special. I got a special. Well, what's special about it? <clears throat> and in this case. I've done shows. I've done specials in Stockholm. I've done a special in Dubai. I've done special Kennedy Center. I've done all over the all over the place. And I thought, hey, why don't I bring it back home and shoot it at the comedy store and tell the story of becoming a regular at the comedy store and all that stuff. So it was really exciting and cool. And I'm excited to have it out there now. Do you prefer more, more of those intimate settings where it's like a smaller venue, such as the comedy store? Or would you prefer like more like the arena style or like the, the big theaters? You know, Nick, it's funny you ask that because I, um, I, first of all, I love clubs and I, I, I just like one of the best clubs in the country is the um, Comedy Works in Denver. Everybody, every, every comedian loves the Denver Comedy Works because the seats okay. are low and it's like 250, 300 people and it's just they're right there. They're on you. Uh, the Comedy Store has great rooms. Um, I love doing the Laugh Factory in L.A. Uh, the Comedy Cellar in New York, they're right there. You know, you're like, ah, and it's great. Cellar's because great. Yeah. And you don't feel... <clears throat> You don't feel intimidated. You're like, I can go up on stage and just start talking and something funny will happen. Because, you know, you go, yeah, I have my material, but I also have people right there. So Mm -hmm. if I just start talking about the dude in the front who's like, you know, eating French fries, that'll go somewhere. I don't know where, but it'll go somewhere. So that's the small room, right? I did a, so I just actually just the, just like a week or so ago, I was, I did my biggest show ever where I co-headlined with me and Mo Amr. We did Bahrain and we we did Abu Dhabi, um, five thousand people in each venue, so it was an arena. And one of them was outdoor uh, uh, amphitheater; the other one was an arena. But I learned my lesson in doing an arena or any big venue. What you got to do is usually they have screens in those places for people to watch mm-hmm. you from the back, right? So you got to go to the camera guy and say, "Listen, if I talk to somebody in the front, go to that person so that the audience sees who I'm talking about." And so I gave that direction to them and they actually implemented it and it works like it, it, it makes the room more intimate Yeah. because, and, and it actually makes it even more intimate than a comedy club. Because if I'm talking to you, you're in the front row, I see your face, nobody else sees your face. But if I'm in a big room and the camera guy goes to your face, now everyone's seeing your face. So it's even more intimate in a way. So I've learned how to play those big rooms as well. And it's, I mean, I, I got to say, it's, it's rock and roll. You feel like, oh my God, I just, I mean, as we were leaving the 
amphitheater. We did an amphitheater in Bahrain and it started raining in the middle. I saw of the that. Show. Yeah. So as, uh, as we were leaving, my manager was like, look, all those people came for you. And I'm looking and it was from me and Mo, but, um, you know, people, you know, 5,000 people going to their cars and I'm like, whoa, that's so cool. And then I'm like, What's it gotta be like to play for like fifty thousand people? Can you imagine? Yeah, I, I I can't imagine. I mean, honestly, like being up there, like it probably feels a little isolating at times. You know, sure. like if your joke doesn't land up there, like you feel so alone and kind of like stuck. But uh, you know, no one I, can I think, save you. Exactly. I think in the intimate, you know, smaller spaces, <laughs> like at least you can be like, eh, you know. I saw. I was backstage for the Strokes. My aunt's sister used to be married to the lead singer. Wow. No mas. But like the, uh, but why don't they were together? They're like, all right, you can have backstage. It was at Austin City Limits. It was wow. a festival. Like you could, you know, be backstage with the strokes and you could watch them from backstage. They came out, the crowd erupts, the boom's amazing. It's so deafening loud. And you look out and you're like, oh my God, I feel like I'm in Lord of the Rings and there's just like a sea of CGI orcs going down yeah. like it is a sea of i've never seen anything like it as a sea of people but five thousand is a lot i mean what's your process of curating like these specials because you talk about trimming it down and moving things around like how do you finally get to maybe like a rundown that you really enjoy with also you know maybe incorporating some room to kind of play to the audience because like you do a lot of, i mean i saw again on your instagram one of the bits you did about the woman who was like in another room that was hysterical so how do you kind of have room to wiggle that in you know, I think after doing it for this long and also coming up again, the comedy store was where I first became, a, I, you first start out in, you know, coffee shops, bars, all that stuff. Sure. Eventually you work your way to the clubs and the comedy store was one of the first clubs that made, it was the first club that made me a regular. And what she used to do back then, Mitzi Shore, who, who was the owner of the comedy store, also Polly Shore's mother, she's passed away since, but she used to, if you were new, she'd either put you in the very beginning where people are walking in and you got to deal with people coming to sit and you still trying to tell your jokes and you only have 15 minutes and you better get to it and you better learn how to talk to people as they come sit or she'd put you at the end and I used to go up at the end so I'd be like and this was like the early 2000s so it was around the time of uh, the Iraq war and being Middle Eastern American I was you know being critical a lot of of the war and all that stuff and so I'm trying to do material about politics and what's going on in the world and I'm following like Joe Rogan, Joey Diaz, Andrew Dice Clay, Paul Mooney. These guys are just going in, you know, strong and just raw. And I'm supposed to go up after these guys and be like, so what about the war, guys? You know, it's like so. <laughs> so you learn from that. It's really like being in the trenches. It's, it's, it's learning how to be how to adapt and, and play and be there. So actually, one of the one of the times I really learned a lesson. I remember this. If you've ever seen Joey Diaz do in a stand-up comedy live <clears throat> it's like a hand grenade going off it's like he's Insane. just going boom 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 yeah yeah you know that, that that uncle joey and he's just going 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 i mean he he blew the room up and i was next and i made the mistake this is where i learned i mean i made the mistake of going up after him because because as soon as you go he blows it up people are getting up now to go take pee breaks get a smoke whatever so it's it's chaos and i made the mistake of just going up and getting into my act and, and that was quickly, I realized you can't do that. You got to go up. You got to acknowledge what just happened. You got to land in the room. You got to let them know you just saw what they saw. And so that was part of me learning to kind of rope a dope, bob and weave. Mm. And so what I've got now is I've got my, when I do, when I headline, I've got an hour at least of material that I want to talk about. 
But I also know it's like if the material is a train and you're on the train, once in a while you got to stop, get off the train, go talk to the guy in the you know left you know st stage left who's picking his nose, do two minutes on him, then you get back on the train and you keep going, and so that becomes and it becomes fun. It's fun for me. It's fun for others. And also, like you said, uh, um, Josh, when you observe stuff for people that didn't see this clip that Josh was talking about, I was in the back of the room watching the, at the Laugh Factory, watching the other comedians go up. And the room is such that there was some poor lady whose seat was basically like at, it was, it was basically like she was to the side of the stage facing most of the audience. Like she wasn't even facing the, <laughs> comedian she was facing the audience and she was just eating her food i'm in the back watching i'm like this poor lady has no angle to the stage because there was a little sign that kind of blocked her view so if she wanted to see the comedian she had to kind of like lean over and look look over so i was like this I, i'm sitting backstage I'm, I'm sorry i'm sitting in the back of the room i'm watching i'm going i hope nobody else mentions her yeah I, yeah I hope nobody else mentions her and they didn't and i got up and i go this is comedy gold and I timed it like I got four or five minutes in and I and then I knew a few people in the room. I, I'd got I found a few names already. And then I go, hey, so and so, you know, you know who I feel sorry for? And they don't know what I'm about to talk about. I go this lady right here and I walk over oh and she's God. sitting there eating her French fries, watching the audience. And now they just notice for the first time. They're like, ah, so all of that to say you've got your act, but you've also got to leave room for these improvs or whatever else might happen because that's what makes that night magical that's what makes that room and that night unique um and so i just try as much as i can what i'll do is like when you film a comedy special you usually do two sets you'll do one set and make sure you get all the material you wanted get all that out and then the second set you said let's play a little bit and then and then what you do is you look at both sets and you see which one was stronger overall and then if there were certain bits you like from the other one, you can always kind of edit it in. Um, and uh, and that's it. That's like, I, I love doing that. Every one of my specials, if you see, there's a whole, there's always a riff on talking to somebody in the audience. And in my opinion, that's what makes it special. Yeah, it makes yeah. the experience so personal too. Yeah. And like, you know, makes it seem like you're improvising, which in, in, you know, in essence you are. Um, I was actually gonna wonder and ask you, I mean, you kind of hit on a little bit about adapting, but like, performing in some of these Middle Eastern countries, I'm sure like you got to pull some punches every now and then, right? Just based off of like how strict some of these laws are and kind of how yes. the culture is, right? Yeah, great observation. You know, so when we first went, so when we did that tour called the Axis of Evil Comedy Tour, it was me, Ahmed Ahmed, who's Egyptian, Aaron Cater, who's Palestinian, Dino Bidala, who's Palestinian. At one point in 07, we were the first group of American-based comedians who went to the Middle East to perform for the people of the Middle East. Because usually when American comedians would go to the Middle East, they'd be doing shows for the troops. The troops, yeah. We were discovered because at that time, again, this was like Bush administration. There's a lot of anti-Muslim sentiment. So we were here going, no, look, Middle Easterners are in America. They're part of America. We're comedians. We're not terrorists. We're good people. We're laughing. So that kind of took off. And we got invited to go to the Middle East to perform. And it was very interesting because we did five countries the first time we went out there. First time there's a group of comedians coming to perform in that region. And they would always tell us, they'd be like, do whatever you want, just no sex, no religion, no politics. And you'd be like, well, then hello, good night. <laughs> like, you know, like, what are we talking about? But we understood, first of all, when they said politics, it meant no local politics. So like, don't talk about the president or the king of this country. You're like, all right, I got that. Religion, they're very sensitive to religion in general. 
And sex, I think they were saying, look, there's going to be family members here, you know, kids, people bringing their kids and stuff, just keep it clean. So early on, we found a way to navigate that somewhat. Um, we still would push it, push the envelope a little bit. Matter of fact, we went to Jordan and in Jordan, the king of Jordan came, uh, King Abdullah, and he invited us to his palace the next day. And I remember Aaron Cater asking him, he said, you know, he said, you know, we were trying to remain within the confines of what the promoters told us. And he said, do you, King, think we should have pushed the envelope? And he said, he said, listen, guys, just by being here doing stand-up comedy, you're already pushing the envelope. And it was kind of an eye opener. I was like, that's right. Like, this is this is new to the region, right? Now, I just went back, uh, like I said, a couple of weeks ago. So this was now 07. So 16 years later, 2023. First of all, there's stand-up comedy scenes all over the region now. There's comedians that are local to those countries doing stand-up in those countries. Secondly, there's comedians in those countries doing stand-up in those countries, and they're, they're kind of getting edgy. Like some of them are talking about politics or religion or sex. And so when I went, my first show in this most recent tour was in Cairo, Egypt, and, I'm, and I hadn't been to Egypt in about 10 years. And I'm like, oh God, will my stand-up, will the act that I'm doing in America translate here in Egypt. And I was headlining. I was no longer part of like four or five comedians. I was a part of the whole show. Uh, I'm sorry, the whole show was me. I had an opening act, but then it was me doing an hour. And so I was like, you know what, man? I'm just gonna go for it. And of course, like a couple hours before I go on stage, my manager's office sends me an email. They go, by the way, the promoters asked that you just stay away from these topics. And I swear to God, I kept, I kept the screenshot. It says, sex religion politics i go nothing's changed <laughs> but i go but you know what screw it i'm gonna go for it because i go i think this audience will appreciate if i go for it and i'll tell you guys i went for it um i did i have a whole joke the, the title of the birds and the bees comes about comes from where i tell a story of stumbling into the sex talk with my kids when they were mm. eight and ten so i'm on stage and i'm saying yeah there was this tv show we're watching the tv show and the kids about to masturbate and da 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 and as I'm saying all this, I can see like the promoters squirming a little bit, <laughs> but the audience is laughing and they're loving it. And it's then um, I ended up doing the re I did the real set for them. And um, I got an email from some guy saying, hey, I saw you last time and you were you kept it a lot cleaner. I'm so happy you went for it because they don't want to be treated like with kid gloves. They want because nowadays think about this too, you guys. First of all, they've now had 16 years of stand up comedy locally, so they're growing their IQ of comedy is growing. Secondly, they have access to Instagram and TikTok and all the other social media. So they're seeing, you know, uh, whoever it is, uh, Bill Burr or, or, or Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle or whoever it is, and they want you to treat them the way you would treat an audience right. in New York. And, right. so, and so again, um, it, it, it was, we were told to stay away from certain things, but I went for it and, and um, the audience liked it. I think the, the promoters were a little worried. Right. Well, I mean, look, at the end of the day, you're exercising your freedom of speech. Like that's that's how comedy works in the United States, right? And to be able to go and do that over there and kind of start being a pioneer in a way, right? Where you're opening the door for people to see that you can express yourself and you can tell these jokes. Like it's much bigger than just getting some laughs, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah you're right. Listen, you're, you guys are right. And, and again, though, you got to also be careful because that's see that's the beauty of this country we can make fun of the president and not so, someone's not <laughs> there was not ai funny. photos of the guy with like getting dragged out by the cops i thought it was real yeah yeah 
no, it's it, listen, some some countries they still they don't play, you know, because yeah. they're they're not they, they don't have freedom of speech. And so we as American comedians, when we go there, we can push the envelope somewhat. Of course, like you don't want to go to some country and be like, yo, your king's, you know, what an ugly bastard, you know, like you don't want to, or, or like, or like, hey, he's, he's oppressing you guys. You guys should revolt tomorrow. Like, you don't want to say things like that because. Master Brani uh, starts a riot in Jordan. <laughs> exactly. You don't want to do that kind of stuff. But, but again, uh, like you said, Nick, it is pushing the envelope a little bit. And it is, listen, ultimately, I would, if I could sit down with the leaders of these countries, I would say, look, this is good for your for your country and it's good for your people to be able to say these things because if you are able to laugh off some of these things or maybe there's some truth to some of the stuff they're saying like if they're saying like oh the economy's bad hey you know what i'm sure you know it so you can probably work towards making it better mm-hmm. but don't sit there and throw everyone who says that into jail you know um so that's what you know listen we talk about cancel culture and comedy here I personally feel like, I—I I mean, the times I was yelled at to like I have a I have a clip on, on um on YouTube. Uh, if you put in Maz, uh, Maz Jobrani Trump heckler, I think that's what it was. You know, during the Trump years when I would do Trump jokes, like there was times when some of his followers would really get upset, and I would just have to remind them. I was like, guys, this is like it's it, it, this is what democracy is about being able to make fun of our leaders so whether it's trump or biden or obama or bush i don't care who it is we should be able to make fun of them so this lady was drunk and she starts heckling me and um or screaming at me i should say and i had learned the best way to deal like some comedians are very much like i'm gonna i'm gonna go at this person and curse them out and cuss them out and shut them up Hmm. i learned the best way for me to deal with it is to just like tai chi the situation so she's screaming in the clip. She's like, I, as a woman, I'm offended. And I was like, wow, what a great country. You can be a woman and be offended. Kill him with kindness. Yeah, like, all right. Like, kindness, yeah, bro. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, you guys hit on something. It's like these other countries do have certain limits. And hopefully our country can be open-minded about it. That doesn't mean, again, I'm not a, I'm not a proponent of saying like, you know, I should be able to use any word I want because I don't care if it offends you. You know, I have comedian friends who'll say like, oh, you know, you can't say certain words. I go, look, I got kids, they're evolving. So we as older comedians can choose to evolve with them or you can choose to kind of just die out like a dinosaur. It's like, you know, times are gonna change, we can evolve, um, but but at the same time, as a country, we really got to be behind being able to at yeah. least politically and stuff speak our minds. I mean, your your comedy itself is clearly evolved. I'm sure when you first started out, you didn't have kids, and then you have kids, and your comedy is about like you had that bit about like kind of combining you know people being sensitive, and you know you posting that thing about your son on about strawberries on Facebook, and yes. then and then like you know then politics evolving, and like you know just kind of being a sponge letting yourself you know bring in the water and then put it back out in any way you see fit like i feel like for a comedian like that always works best like as an audience member seeing them take in the world and be malleable um and move their stuff to it uh we got a few more for you man what was your i arrived moment like you're like wow and you know i'm sure like you're still chasing and going and, and challenging yourself but what was the moment where you're like okay this is it i'm, I'm a comedian 
Well, I'll say two things. First of all, thanks for noticing the, the idea of the, the comedy evolving because I hadn't even thought about that bit, the strawberry bit for so long. I, I don't even remember how it goes. But the reason I have now seven specials is because I've continued to talk about my life and the world as it evolved because I'm not a joke writer. So some joke writers, I think, have a hard time because they're just writing jokes, writing jokes, writing jokes, and they might be telling a joke from 10, 15 years ago. For me, it just keeps evolving. Mm. Yes, once in a while, I'll pull out an old joke and throw it out or something. But for the most part, it evolves. So you're absolutely right. The world evolves, and we as comedians and artists have to evolve. Now, the I have, uh, the I have arrived moment, I would, I'll say, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of those moments. Sure. There's no, you know, as you said, there's no like, that's it. That moment, you know, I was walking down the street and some guy goes, you're the next James Bond. You know, <laughs> this like kid's got the stuff. <laughs> you got it, kid. So going to there, Hollywood. Was a, there was a few of them, you know, like the first one that I, that I was in, I didn't even realize for me, it was like, I, did, I was in the movie Friday After Next, which was the third installment of the Friday series with yep. Ice Cube. I played a character named Moly who owns the donut shops, uh, the, this donut shop and a, and a strip mall. And I hired Mike Epps and Ice Cube to work there. I just remember being on that set and I had a day job at the time and I got this movie and I had to just, I took a two week vacation from my day job to go film the movie. And then I went back to the day job and I was a receptionist. So I was like in a movie one, one week and answering calls the next week. So I just remember um, being on set and people like the production coming up going like, man, your life's going to change after this. Your life's going to change. And I was like, is it really? I didn't know. <laughs> the truth is it, it changed a little bit. It wasn't like, again, you know, like Cat Williams and Terry Crews, like just like superstars. And for me, I was like, oh, people would be like, hey, you're Molly. I was like, yeah, I am. You know, <clears throat> so that was one. Um, becoming a reg at the comedy store was huge for me because that's where Eddie Murphy, who was my comedy hero, I'd heard mm, that he man. performed there and like Robin Williams, all these guys. So in my mind, I was like, oh my God, I'm in the big leagues now. It's like being drafted to the majors. Um, I also got to do, I got to perform at the White House in 2016 for Persian New Year, which is called Nowruz, which we just had uh, just a couple of days ago. It's the first moment of spring. Um, they did a no roof celebration at the White House and they asked me to go speak and then introduce Michelle Obama. And that was a definitely a, like a career highlight, oh, yeah. a life highlight. Because I'm going, I was born in Iran. Here I am at that podium you always see the president speak at. And I'm introducing Michelle Obama. I was like, what? I mean, it's like, come on, man. So that was amazing. Um, I got to give the commencement speech at UC Berkeley where I'd gone to school in front wow. of 45,000 people. That's wow, that is, that is that was awesome. cool. I remember my commencement speech. I mean, that, ours was incredible. That's amazing. That's really Yeah, awesome. yeah. It's, it's so, I, I, all of that to say, these moments just are moments. Like even this other moment I told you guys about performing at the, 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 in the Middle East doing the, doing the um, arena and the amphitheater with 5,000 people coming to each show. That for me was almost like a crying moment because I'm going, wow, after 24, 25 years, 5,000 people came out to see me perform. And that was, again, that was the first time where it was me and Mo, we were on the ticket versus like, I've done a show where like there was 20,000 people, but that was like a comedy jam with mm -hmm. Cat Williams and Gabriel Iglesias and all these people. This in the Middle East was for me and Mo and 5,000 and just like it, it, it's so there's there's been, you know, it just it continues. That's amazing. Yeah. And as someone who's, you know, you're Persian, I would like for you to know that there was a period of time in Los Angeles where I was like the top 
bar mitzvah MC for the Persian community. Hilarious. In, I love in, it. I have no idea what the music means, but I absolutely like love, if Persian music comes on, it's a cue for me to throw my jacket on the floor and just dance around it. <laughs> it, it. <laughs> well, we have great, we have great music and there's a lot of Persian Jews in Los Angeles and they love to party for the love bar mitzvahs. And yeah, I think we have a lot of, uh, you know, it's funny because unfortunately I think a lot of Americans don't know as much about Iranians. Um, they, they, what they know is the Islamic Republic. And so they think of like mullahs and ayatollahs and dictators and terrorists and, the truth is the Iranian people in general, whether they're Jewish or Muslim or Christian or whatever, they are some of the most um, um, giving and fun people you will ever meet. And it's food's good. It's a blast. Oh, my God, get it. dude, we've got a wow, you were you were part of the crew, man. I do. I, I, I'm, I kid you not like for every weekend. He was honorary for, for sure. two <laughs> years, for two years, every weekend, like it. dancing with it. the grandmas. We have a few yeah. Persian Jewish friends, but one of them is really close to us. And he's he's we say he's got the most fun in L.A. because he's literally at a wedding every weekend or the a, a baby shower every weekend. They have an excuse Islam to Jewish. go and party and, yeah, and you know, get together. It's really amazing. It's an amazing community. For sure. It's funny, uh, like we did a we did a show one time and uh, at the comedy store, and I think the promoter was someone who promoted to like a lot of Persians. And so we're in the main room at the comedy store, and it's a lot of Persians are in the audience. And Bobby Lee was oh kind my, of pacing I just saw in the him. back. I just saw him. <laughs> did you just saw Bobby? Yeah, I just saw him. So Insane. He, was he was pacing. He was pacing in the back, and 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 I'm going, "You all right? What's going on?" He's like, "Yeah." He's like, "I don't know, man. Like, can I do my stuff? Like, this audience seems conservative." I go, "Dude." I go, this audience is all, they're all drinking tequila right now. I go, you got the wrong image in your mind. Like, go do the raw Bobby Lee. And he went out and did it and they loved him. And uh, it's just funny that a lot of people don't know that our community loves to celebrate and party and just have a good time, man. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Maz, we ask all our guests this. It could be from you playing, anything, watching as a fan. What is your favorite sports memory ever? Oh my gosh. Favorite sports memory ever. Oh man, like right when you said that, so many came to mind. Um, I will say one of them that was, I, I, to this day, I remember, um, I believe it was 1998, I think it was the World Cup, I think in 98 in France. Was it 98? I think it was 98. Um, Iran was playing the US. Mm -hmm. And it was this big thing because, again, as an Iranian American, I left Iran when I was six years old, grew up in America. But right after we arrived, there was a whole hostage crisis. And back then as kids, they would call you effing Iranian and hostage taker, all that stuff. So we were, kind of, we, you know, we were bullied as kids. And, but Iran always had a negative image in America. And I, as an Iranian American, was always kind of fighting that to be like, no, we're good people. Like I just said a second ago, it's like I'm yeah. still saying it. Um, I feel like <laughs> it's, a it's like a therapy session. Um, <laughs> And so this, this game happens and it's, it just so happens that Iran and America are playing each other. And I remember going, there was some restaurant here in Los Angeles. I think it was like the middle of the night, took my grandfather with me. All these Persians are in the room. And of course, when the game starts, everyone's going like, what's gonna happen? Are the, are the players gonna fight? Cause the, the countries were you know mortal enemies. Are they gonna fight? Is it gonna be, what's it gonna be? And I just remember um, the game was about to start, and of course, you know, the, the, the network, I think it was Brent Musburger was announcing, it was ABC, you know, like, <laughs> in, two, in 1979, the crisis happened, and then the hostage crisis, 
And they start covering, like going into the thing, they're covering the history with all the footage of like the hostage takers and stuff. And everyone in this huge restaurant starts going, boo, like, we don't want to hear this. We're here for the game. And so whoever it was that the, the restaurant it was, they turned the volume down and they put on some Persian pop. And it's like, da, 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 da. So everyone's dancing and they're showing images of the hostage takers. You know? And I'm like, oh, no. And um, but then the most amazing thing happened. Um, they were about to start the game and the Iranian players had brought flowers for the American players. And they went over and handed them bouquets of flowers. And I'm telling you, I still get chills when I think about it. And then where, whereas like usually when they take those opening uh, game pictures, there's each team stands on its own and they take pictures. These two teams intertwined and they took a picture together. I just remember going like, this is what sports is about. And it was so amazing. And I just remember in that game, because I was saying Iran, I said Iran needs this win because they've had so much bad press versus like the US generally speaking is like considered like the or at least was considered the top country in the world. <laughs> and so I remember in that game, I remember uh I think when I think we won two one if I'm not mistaken. I just remember like the winning goal and I remember grabbing my grandfather's knee and just like squeezing it and being so excited. And so it was just it was a magical moment. So that would probably be the highlight. Uh, of of a sports highlight, I can remember. That's why we ask the question because it's a different answer every time, and it always surprises us. Always yeah. surprises us. Maz Jabrani, thank you so much for joining us. It was an absolute pleasure. We have a lot of Texas listeners and fans, so if you're in Houston, Texas, go see uh, Maz. When you when's your first show down there? I'm gonna be in Houston. Um, I do the Houston Improv, and I love going down there. It's one of my favorite clubs. Houston is one of my favorite cities to perform at. I will be down there um, April sixth through the 8th at the Houston Improv. If people follow mm -hmm. me at Maz Jobrani, it's M-A-Z-J-O-B-R-A-N-I. I'm always posting about it. But yeah, come see me live and check out the special on YouTube. It drops on uh, March 31st on YouTube. We will be there March 31st. Maz Jobrani, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Of course. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.